Good morning, everyone. It's a joy to be with you today as we have service here in the Temple of Light at Ananda Village. And I am Nayaswami Mantra Devi, and this is Nayaswami Krishna Das. I'm going to read this morning from Rays of the One Light, Commentaries on the Bhagavad Gita and the Bible by Swami Kriyananda. This morning, the uh, topic is, is God present even there where there is ignorance? Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. The Gospel of St. John, Chapter 1, makes a reference to the divine light that is obscure to the rational faculty, but that enlightens our higher nature. The light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Reason recoils from this statement with innumerable questions. What is this darkness? Is it conscious that it could comprehend anything? What sort of light would be capable of shining in darkness without transforming at least that part of the darkness in which it shines into light? Does the light shine only at night? And if so, why only then? The solution is that to divine sight, even daylight seems darkness. The sun itself, like the moon which shines only by reflected light from the sun, is but a kind of reflection of the cosmic light, which being immaterial is invisible to the eyes, but which is the great source of all material reality. In Autobiography of a Yogi, Paramahansa Yogananda describes his youthful visit to Ramgopal Muzumdar, the sleepless saint. He lived, in, he lived in the vision of that higher light. Around midnight, Yogananda wrote, Ram Gopal fell into silence, and I lay down on my blankets. Closing my eyes, I saw flashes of lightning. The vast space within me was a chamber of molten light. I opened my eyes, and observed the same dazzling radiance. The room became a part of the infinite vault which I beheld with interior vision. Why don't you go to sleep? Sir, how can I sleep in the presence of lightning blazing whether my eyes are open or shut? You are blessed to have this experience. The spiritual radiations are not easily seen. The saint added a few words of affection. This is the light that shineth in darkness. It has been described variously in the great scriptures, in the Bhagavad Gita, the 11th chapter. The devotee Arjuna is given an experience of this infinite state and exclaims in awe. If there should rise suddenly within the skies sunburst of a thousand suns, flooding earth with beams undeemed of, then might be that holy one's majesty 
and radiance dreamed of. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. <clears throat> Om, Om, Om. Good morning, everyone. I, too, would like to welcome you to our Sunday service here at Ananda Village, broadcast from our Temple of Light. I want to start with uh, a reading from Yogananda's book of poems and prayers, Whispers from Eternity. Teach me to feel that all men are my brothers. O oh, our own one Father, teach me to feel that all men are my brothers. Teach me to love all countries as brother nations to my own, as much so as the land to which I am temporarily assigned by karmic law. Teach me above all to love those who love me not. Teach me to see thy presence in every erring brother. Teach me to heal as eagerly as I would be healed myself, those brothers who are steeped in ignorance. O oh, Mother Divine, teach me never to rejoice in the segregation or punishment of an erring brother even if he needs to be punished to protect from to be to protect from his tyranny those who otherwise are defenseless teach me to heal with kindness those who are misled or let me correct them by my good example teach me to feel that even someone who does me mortal injury is my brother made in thy image his ignorance is only temporary. Destroy in me every trace of vengefulness, including the quick tit-for-tat spirit. Teach me to try to heal, not to punish, my brothers who resort to crime. Let me not increase their ignorance by a wrong spirit of revenge. Teach me to improve all men by my own example of forgiveness, self-control, determination, to do what is right, wisdom, encouragement toward goodness, and prayer, and above all, by thy love. It's a very good reading uh, for these times in which we live today. It's a lot of, as you know, a lot of social unrest and turmoil, and the, uh, the forces of good and light are really at, at work here. You know, everything on this plane is a mirror, really, of uh, the higher realms, or I should say the astral realms. In the astral realms, well, everything in the, on this plane is, in the Gita, teaches how it's divided into the qualities, the gunas. You have sattva guna, raja guna, tama guna, light, uh, sort of restlessness or energy, and then you have darkness and ignorance. Okay, which this reading today talks about, how does the light shine and the ignorance or the darkness perceive it not? It's because the light is shining all the time, but ignorance can't perceive it. Let's change light to wisdom. God's wisdom is transmitting into this world, broadcast into this world at all times, everywhere, all ages. But those that are ignorant of that understanding don't pick, up, don't pick it up. 
So this is, the, this is how the light could shine in darkness, and in darkness it does not perceive it, because it doesn't have the ability to perceive. How we perceive the light is raising our consciousness into the light, then we perceive it. Okay, so back to the gunas, sattva, raja, tama. In the astral realms, the asuras represent the sattvic qualities, the gods, the beneficial gods, benevolent gods. The rakshashas, they're the mischievous beings. You know, they're sort of always creating unrest and, <clears throat> and very selfish in their orientation and in their pursuits, uh, self-seeking. Then you have tamaguna represented in the yakshashas. In the Gita, it talks about the yakshashas being um, evil, dark creatures, that they are steeped in ignorance. They are loaded with witlessness. <clears throat> and when they die, <clears throat> they go to the regions of the vile and soon to be born into some dark womb, some uh, uh, womb, some ignorant womb, you know. So this is how the drama of good and light is going on all the time. And right now it's really raging, isn't it, on many, on many fronts. And we as warriors of light, we as devotees, uh, truth seekers, those seeking self-realization, we need to increase the light within us so that we could be uh, uh, God's instruments and in raising the consciousness, not just of our own, so that we can perceive the light and perceive God's wisdom, but generate it into the world. Okay, so I wanted to talk about um, compassion today. Compassion, so we, we know the eight aspects of God, uh, peace, calmness, joy, power, and so on. Just in the, as in the, uh, in the Gita, the Mahabharata, you have the, the forces of good, the Pandavas, but the Pandavas had a whole army. So you have other, cre uh, other beings that are on the side of good, just as the Kauravas represented the so side of uh, darkness or evil, or let's say the material, uh, the material world. And so something like uh, peace. Well, aspects of peace would be tranquility, serenity. Let's say you have uh, love. Further aspects of love would be compassion and kindness and consideration for others. So I wanted to touch on this aspect of the aspect of love, which is compassion, that they say Christ was, Jesus Christ was the embodiment of that uh, and others all masters are, uh, have that quality. So I wanted to uh, read a few. Compassion, why practice it? Okay, now I got this off the internet actually. I always joke when I get something off the internet. There was a, a sitcom uh, comedy TV show years ago and it was these two detec detectives and they were kind of blue collar detectives and you know, they weren't educated or sophisticated, but when, and when they were on the, the beat together, you know, on some job, uh, some case, you know, one would, you know, they're talking, and one would share some, some erudite, you know, high uh, uh, fact or truth of the universe, and the other one would look at it and go, where'd you get that? And it'd say, Nova. <laughs> so Nova was, I guess it's still on today, where you get all of these uh, very, um, you know, facts about the universe that not you wouldn't normally know unless a scientist gave, gave them to you. Anyway, compassion, why practice it? Compassion makes us feel good. Okay, we're, we're seeking happiness, right? Activates pleasure circuits in the brain. 
it strengthens brain circuits for pleasure and reward and lead to lasting increases in self-reported happiness. Okay? Being compassionate, tuning into other people in a kind and loving manner. It can reduce heart disease, boost positive effects, the vagus nerve, which is, slows the heartbeat, adds to good health, well-being, longevity. Compassionate makes people more resilient to stress, strengthens the immune system. Science gives us lots of wonderful things, isn't it? Um, practicing compassion, meditation, improved participants, emotional life, positive thinking, relationships, and empathy. Compassionate people's minds wonder less about what has gone wrong in their lives or might go wrong in the future. As, as a result, they're happier. Helps them be in the moment, compassion. A couple more. Um, compassionate people are more optimistic and supportive when communicating with others. Feeling compassion for one person makes us less vindictive toward others. Again, we're seeking to be channels for the light. Compassion is a way to do that. More, this is interesting, us that are part of a, an, a village, a community, others that are, or our global community, our virtual community. More compassionate societies, those that take care of their most vulnerable members uh, are the happier ones. You know, Darwin was uh, cited to say survival of the fittest, but now they understand that it was his next generation of disciples that came up with that. Actually, Darwin, who was never quoted for this, he says, communities which included the greatest number of sympathetic members would flourish best and rear the greatest number of offspring. Now, we know in our wedding ceremony, we, we say it about offspring, whether human children or creative deeds. And Ananda is known for its sympathetic spirit. And Ananda is flourishing in this world today. He said, without compassion, the survival and flourishing of our species would have been unlikely. Compassion is essential to the flourishing, even continuing, even having been successful as a species. So it behooves us, again, we want to bring this light into the world. Now, compassion is the way we, we do that. Montredevi and I, we had the great blessing. Uh, I've told this story where we, uh, when we done our India pilgrimages, which we hope to continue to do when the COVID lifts travel um, ban, we will, uh, again, be doing this with God's grace. Uh, but after each trip, we would do something interesting, hopefully just as a, you know, something to do. And one year, we got invited to kind of tag along to have a private audience with the Dalai Lama. Keshava and Daya, our uh, co-tour leaders, were asked to uh, attend this group that was arranged by our school, Ananda School, to have an audience with the Dalai Lama. And they were asked to go to represent Ananda, uh, India. Okay, so we were uh, planning a trip with them. So we said, "Well, that will be our trip." So we went up uh, to Dharmashala to uh, be a part of that. Now, I'll never forget uh, 
I was, and I, I thought, okay, we, we fell into this, you know, good karma. And I was standing, you know, you have to go through a, one of these, like they're probably doing now in the Capitol, where you have to, in it, where you have to go through like an open telephone booth with open on each side to uh, uh, scan for weapons, because the Dalai Lama uh, needs that protection. And I'm, st I'm standing there in line, and I'm waiting to go through, and, and I feel this commotion here on the, my left, you know. And I finally, I, you know, I look up, and, and there are these two little, sweet, beautiful women, lady, elderly lady devotees, and they're going, you see the Dalai Lama, you see the Dalai Lama. And I'm, yes, yes, you know, and I just came back into my spine. I'm standing there waiting, and they kept doing it, and I, I looked up, and you see the Dalai Lama, you see the Dalai Lama. They kept saying that like a mantra, you know. And I said, yes, yes, you know, and I went back in my spine. They kept doing it. A third time, I thought, they got through to me. I thought, I'm going to see the Dalai Lama, you know, because that was, a, that was an honor. It was such a privilege. They live in Dharmashala, and most of those people don't get closer than 100 yards, maybe 500 yards, if that. You know, and here we were these foreigners going to have a private audience with him. So in that, so that sort of got me in the right spirit. I was not taking it for granted, but just wasn't really tuning in, you know, to what this experience was going to be. So we went in and we had this private audience with the Dalai Lama, beautiful soul. As you know, uh, his reputation precedes that. And uh, uh, the reason I wanted to share this is that he's an embodiment of compassion. And I'll never forget the story he told us. He was on his way back from a trip and he was uh, um, in, the, in the car and they were about to go through the entrance of the compound and there was a, uh, and he had a severe toothache. It, the pain was excruciating and that's all he could think about. And then when they were going through the entrance, there was a, a poor, homeless, kind of disheveled, pitiable uh, person sitting there and the Dalai Lama noticed him. And then they went through, and he started thinking about him. And his heart started to go out towards this person in, in his compassionate nature, feeling that fellow's uh, suffering. You know? And it, it increased in him, and increased in him. So they, he made the trip. He got into the palace or the, the uh, temple, where, where the, the, the grounds where he was living. And it kept on his mind, kept on his mind. And then the thought came to him, since seeing him, and as the compassion increased, he was no longer feeling the pain of that toothache. Now, I don't think it was just because he was distracted. I think it was because the vagus nerve, bliss, you know, science gives it some physiology, physiological reason, but we call that God, God's blessing. God is bliss. And when we can have the right attitude, the right consciousness, God's bliss flows through us, as we know. So um, Yogananda, he had a quote. He said, compassion for all beings is necessary for divine realization, for God himself is overflowing with this quality. Compassion is necessary for divine realization because God himself is overflowing with this uh, quality. 
So there's a story that Swami tells uh, about Yogananda, that he was out on a, uh, a ride, you know, in the car, and they're traveling down a street, and he says, stop the car! And they pull over. This was related to Swami by an, a fellow monk, brother monk, Debbie Mukherjee. She says, stop the car! I, I probably heard this story, but it's, it's uh, on point for today. So he pulls over to the curb and several, you know, shops back, they go into this sort of shabby variety shop. And there was an elderly woman in there and Master started picking up an assortment of items, you know, and apparently fairly useless items. And Davy Mukherjee was, was saying, he related to his, he was thinking, what on earth could Master be wanting with all this junk, you know? So he, uh, he gets it and he goes up to the counter. Those days, the, probably the woman was even itemizing it on a little invoice book, you know, or if she had one of those beginning registers, who knows. But anyway, as she was adding it up, you know, and she finally came to the, the total and she burst into tears. She said, I was very much needing this exact sum today by closing, and that she had been praying to God, please help me with this. And Yogananda comes in and, and, and is that instrument for that. And she said to him, Sir, God himself must have sent you in here to help me in my hour of need. And, I, and Swami goes on to say, and Master just sort of quietly smiled, betraying the, the knowledge that he knew about her, her prayer. Because he was omniscient. He could pick up on everything. This is a, a woman, a shopkeeper, probably a heart of gold, you know, a sweet soul. But we as disciples or devotees or truth seekers, if Yogananda is not your guru, or this lineage, but tune into it. Because that wisdom is broad, being broadcast 24-7. And we can tune into that, but we need to diminish the darkness so the light can be comprehended. Diminish the ignorance so the wisdom could be perceived. That's what we are doing with our scientific techniques of yoga and meditation and generating and developing our ability for intuitive perception. All of that, all of it, all your nutritional practices, your diet, your sadhana, your reading, your everything you're doing to raise your consciousness and to increase your perception of intuit intuition is to tune into that ray, that reality. And, and it's needed today. It's needed. It, compassion is needed today. All of us read the, perhaps, not everyone's reading the news, but I think you are, because it's, it's just, how could you not? They, they, there is so much anguish and fear and worry, vibrations today. We need to counter it. We need to counter it. The warriors of light counter that, that energy. Now, uh, there was a story that Swami tells about uh, he was, this is years ago, he was living up at the meditation retreat 
And uh, it was Sunday, and he was scheduled to do Sunday service. And suddenly he had a kidney stone attack. Kidney stone attack. He said it was so painful that his whole body was trembling like a leaf in the wind. He said it was the most excruciating pain that he had ever experienced. And they, those that have had it, compare it to childbirth. Now, Montreve and I like to watch this series called uh, um, Midwife. What is it called? Midwife. Called the Midwife, where it's, a, it's uh, in the 1950s during the baby boom in, in London. And uh, some of you may be aware of this series. Anyway, it's a, the Nottis House is a, is a nunnery, and they have other women that are not nuns, but they're midwives, and they all are giving, helping with all these births that are happening. Like, so on this show, there's like two, three births an episode, you know, and they show it in full, full bore, you know. And uh, so when you compare kidney stones to childbirth, I would think <clears throat> that's pretty, pretty awesome what, what uh, happens there. Anyway, Swami's going through this, okay? And it was an hour and a half before service, and it wasn't abating. A friend was with him, and he was begging him, saying, I'll take you to the hospital. Let me take you to the hospital. Swami thought, no. I, he, he couldn't even imagine, you know, in, in those days, more so than now, up at the meditation retreat, if you've been up there, you know how bumpy the road is sort of to be bumped and jostled all the way down that road and then the windy road all the way into Grass Valley to the hospital. He couldn't imagine that. So he just laid there and dealt with, this, with the pain. Okay, 15 minutes before service, finally Swami says, and I'm going to read it in his own words. Um, he says that uh, he, he prayed to Divine Mother that if, you're gonna, if you want me to do this service, you're going to have to do something. He started that prayer. He said, unbelievably, almost like a breath fading from steel, the pain vanished completely to be replaced by a cool wave of intense joy. He goes on to say, my prayer, because in, in doing this service, he said, my prayer had not been for myself, but for my ability to serve those who had come to hear me. For I yearn to share God's bliss with all. And, and that's a signature statement of Swami Kriyananda's life. He too was the embodiment of compassion. When we got back from Sina Dalai Lama, we went back to Gurgaon and and Swami was there, and he said, you know, how was it? And we gave him our impressions. And around the Dalai Lama, all the people were very joyful, very unpretentious. You know, you could see the people around him. He said, all of Krishna's soldiers are, all the Krishna's soldiers are like Krishna. Well, looking into Swami's eyes, looking into the Dalai Lama's eyes, it was like looking into the infinite. And when we got back to Gurgaon, we looked into Swami's eyes, same eyes, same peerless, like you're looking into infinity, but also this wave of, of love. And that's what Swami, and so Mantradevi says to, to Swami, you're our Dalai Lama, Swami. And he was. Everything, look what he did 
his legacy of, as we quote many times, the 150 books, the 400 pieces of music, the three plays, and the countless uh, recordings and talks and articles and everything that he's done, you know? And when you read, and, you, and I recommend it, reading Miriam's book, his nurse of the last 14 years of his life, it's like an anthology of all of these, all of the things that went wrong with Swami. It is a phenomenal thing that he did all that he did under the physical challenges, health challenges that he had, you know? And uh, one after the other, you know, he was going to do the Ways of, Ways of Awakening, 2005, I think it was. Um, so they, it took a lot of, he was going to be, be recording 365 talks so it could be re aired one a day. So they spent a lot of time in the preparation of that. But then he had congestive heart failure, had to go, and that was around April and May. He had congestive heart failure, had to be admitted to the hospital, okay? And he goes through that, comes, and he had all these other appointments and business that he had to, to, to attend to. So it's all the way to November, and he picks up on those recordings after congestive heart failure. He recorded 10 shows a day, every day. And Miriam talked about at breakfast time, he could hardly lift his spoon to eat his breakfast. Moments later, he's in front of a camera with this lucid you know, flow of wisdom and love and compassion and teaching. Why? Because his life was about sharing God's bliss with everyone, with all. And all of Christian soldiers are like Krishna. We need to follow into those footsteps. Swami gave us a very high bar. Master, of course, would he was an avatar, but Swami was working on it and made his moksha through love, compassion, and caring for others. So in that kind of mundane examples I was giving you in the beginning, those are ways we can do it as well. But now we have to be clear, stay uplifted in our own consciousness and not give in to our own petty nature, egoic nature to judge, condemn, whatever the people are that are doing these things that are counter to what we believe, it doesn't matter. There are erring brothers and sisters and I'm not being tested. I hope none of you are where we get it in the neck, <laughs> physically perhaps, um, like Jesus on the cross. Forgive them for they know not what they do. Master said, a woman came to him and said, Jesus was a man of sorrows. He said, not the Jesus I knew. Jesus was full of joy because Jesus was continually vibrating and emanating his compassion to the world. And I believe, as Master said and as Swami said, even on the cross, he wasn't feeling the pain because avatars could lift themselves above that. And he said, which enabled him to say, forgive them for they know not what they do. Sort of like the highest bar of compassion. So let's live in the light. Let's, in, let's increase our own wisdom, our own love, our own light, through our sadhana, through the Kriya Yoga, through the practices we have, but also through our own 
will and self-control to keep our energy high and positive and radiating so that we could be an instrument for Yogananda, this ray, for Swamiji, Ananda, into this world.